want to mention just a couple of things as we kind of get started today. I want to mention in your bulletin is an insert, and maybe you've, you've noticed that maybe you haven't, but this insert is two-sided on purpose. So one side is just this idea that there's some personal reflection that, that maybe each week, um, so when you'll notice that it will quit being printed here in a few weeks, but it's not because we don't think it's important anymore, but we think it's important that you spend time in, in a connect group. And so hopefully you're finding yourself in one of those, and if you are, um, that's really what we're going for, is that these are reflections based on the message, but things that you can use in a connect group with one another. And so one half is for you to do during the week, and then the other half is for you to talk about in your group. And so that's why groups don't need us to print, um, like give you curriculum. It's kind of like this is the curriculum. So, um, and then you can listen online. Uh, Mike Shanahan has been working countless hours to make sure you can uh, watch most of the time. And if not, you at least have audio every week. And so on our church website is also the questions. If you miss it here, you can go to the website and get the questions um, usually like by Tuesday. And so if your group like meets today, uh, you're probably on last week's sermon, not today's, because that's a really quick turnaround. We can't do it that fast. Um, but, but as we're thinking about this series, this series is called Road to Resurrection, and we're moving towards Easter, and this past Wednesday was Lent, and it's this weird kind of thing that we do in the, the church world, in which sometimes we're marked by ashes on our forehead. It's this time of repentance and reflection, and we're saying we're journeying somewhere together. And so I, I was thinking about how maybe you're like me, um, and you have driven lots of places. And so I was thinking about when I first learned to drive, right? Um, when I was little, we had maps. Maybe you've heard of those. Um, and maps, and you would like kind of mark out on the map where you were going so you got the right way. And if you got lost, you're like pulling out the map and going, okay, here's what this sign says. And we'd figure it out by a map, right? Maybe you've done that. I was really thinking about this because a couple weeks ago I was in Chicago and and I don't think I could have ever gotten out of where I was if it wasn't for my phone, right? Like the, the smartphone telling me which way to go. Because um, I don't think I could have done it. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of turns, and I had no idea where I was. And, and so I was thinking about that and how we use maps. And then we got, like, we had these things called GPS things, which didn't last very long because then phones replaced them. And before that, though, there was this time where we had MapQuest. Maybe you remember MapQuest. You printed out stuff. Except that was always scary, because if you missed your turn, you had to try to figure out how to get back where you didn't even know where to go. So I was really glad when GPS came out after MapQuest. But so on, on our honeymoon, Katie and I went to, to Maui, and um, we had a map. And, and the smartphone did exist. The iPhone was out for about a year. But, but we didn't have any of those things. We were just going to drive. Because it's only an island. How can I get lost? It's just an island. There's an ocean surrounding it. Like, I, where am I going to go? So we took off driving. We ended up driving to this place called Hana, but we never made it to Hana because the road, um, we spent about seven hours in the car that day. It's a terrible idea. Um, got back and a friend of mine says, oh, that's the road to divorce. <laughs> I get it. Uh, we were newly married, so we weren't there yet. Um, but, but it was like 15 mile an hour speed limit. You had to honk around corners. Because if you didn't, there's an ocean on the other side. There's nowhere to go. It was like volcanic rock on one side and ocean on the other. And it's one lane road. It's not safe, by the way. Um, so I remember that drive distinctly because I didn't know where I was going. And we just kept driving. And I would love to tell you with all the invitation of all these new things that I still don't get lost. Um, 
And most of the time I don't, but last year was my grandfather's 80th birthday. And we met at this state park in Indiana, and we were, all the family was together. It was what he longed for for his birthday, and so we all went. And I had an address that I had punched in because my sister sent it to me, and I blame her. <laughs> and I went to that address, and it ended on a two-track road at some random person's house. <laughs> as we drove through these hills, and we got there, and it was... Um, like a scene from a horror movie. Like there were like old barns. And I, I mean, like Katie's like, this doesn't feel safe. <laughs> I said, honey, it's only Indiana. We're fine. Um, as I'm locking the car doors, right? And my kids are like, Dad, I think you're lost. I'm like, I think we are too. Um, so we eventually got the ride address, punched that in, and we got there, you know, like a few minutes later. But, but here's the reality for us. Sometimes we're going directions, and it's fun going on an adventure. It's fun driving places and, and not being really sure where we're going to end up. I mean, that's kind of, kind of fun for some of us, uh, except when we run out of gas or we're really lost. And then we don't know what to do. And see, I think that's kind of how life is for most of us. We're all going some direction, and sometimes we know the direction, but sometimes we have no idea. And in fact, I would say it like this. Some of us today are really intentional about how we live our life and the direction we're going, and others of us, we're just trying to get through today. We don't ever take the time to step back and look at the big picture and ask, what am I doing with my life, or where am I going? And so what is it, here's the reality, that we each set a trajectory for our life by the decisions we make day in and day out. And the question is, where are you going? Where am I going? Where are we going? So I thought I would say it maybe this way. Um, this is a, a fictional story, but it's too real. So years ago, there was this man, and um, he, as a young kid, made a decision he was going to start drinking alcohol, and he, he drank a lot, like every night. And he knew that there was nothing inherently wrong with alcohol. He just couldn't stop at one. He knew you should. He knew it was wise that one was a good number, but, but he just really liked it, and so he kept doing it. And then years passed, and he had a had some kids, and then he had grandkids, and then he had great-grandkids, and, and he couldn't figure out why that his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids, that they had lost jobs and marriages and homes, had been in jail. They couldn't figure out why. He told them they could have one. It was okay, but he never modeled a way of life that reflected that. He took no responsibility for what happened to his family because he told them what to do, even though he modeled a way of life so radically other. Now, I could use alcohol. I could use anger. I could use lust. I could, I could really substitute almost anything in there I really want. Any kind of sin you can name, I can substitute in that story. And you can tell people all day long not to live this particular way, but if you model it for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, and then you sit back and go, oh, I can't believe they keep doing this. Right? It's the epitome of hypocrisy. But it's because one person... One person can set a trajectory for a whole family. One person can set a trajectory for a whole group of people. We see it in nations. We see it in families. Legacies are passed on by what one person does. They're also changed by what one person does. 
See, in Genesis 1, there's this story of creation, right? I mean, you, you've probably heard the story. But, but it ends, the end of chapter 1 says these words. And they were created in the image of God. And then a few verses later it says, And all that God had made was good. Right? Two things I think are really important. If you, if you catch nothing else today, all people, red, yellow, black, and white, whatever place they live, all people, are created in the image of God. Right? Your worst enemy, the person you hate the most, still created in the image of God. Still. I know some of us are going to rub our minds around that one a little bit, right? Created in the image of God. And then, and then not only were they created in the image of God, but they're good. Right? You're good. I want you to hear that today. You are good and you are created in the image of God. Because see, sometimes we start not with Genesis 1 where God actually starts, but we start with Genesis chapter 3 where, where Adam says, you know, God, you may love me enough to let me do whatever I want to do, and you may long to be in right relationship with me, because God, I know that's kind of who you are. You created me to be in this loving relationship with you. But I kind of want to do my own thing. I kind of want to go my own way. I kind of know what you may say is good, and you've given me, you've said here, I love you so much that I'll let you do anything you want to do, but all I ask so that you can show you love me is avoid this, like, one thing. And Adam's like, well, you know, you may love me, but I'm not sure I love you sometimes, and so I'm going to do my own thing and do the one thing you've asked me not to do that shows I love you. See, God is the ultimate loving parent who says, hey, here's the reality I love you enough to let you go where you want to go. The problem for many of us is that God loves us enough to let us go where we want to go. And where we end up going is the place of brokenness. So Adam begins to set the trajectory for all of humankind in one direction, counter to the way God desires for us to live. And there's no question where Adam leads us. In fact, here's what I would say. We have a choice today. We can believe we are a beloved child of God and live into that. Or we can choose to believe we are not beloved by God and live into that. We can embrace the creation story in Genesis 1 that we're creating the image of God and he says we're good. Or we can embrace Genesis chapter 3 that says I have to go my own way and I have to do whatever I want to do. You get to pick. I get to pick. It's our choice. But whichever one we choose, we set a trajectory for our life, maybe even for the next generation. See, Adam changed the relationship between us and God. He didn't change our goodness, by the way. But our relationship to God changed. Our goodness, our being created in the image of God, those things did not change, but the, the nature of the relationship did because then it was God loves us, but we're not sure we want to respond in kind to his love. So here's the reality for us. Um, what's the tra- trajectory of your life? Which way are you or I heading What road are we on? We're on a road either to resurrection and new life or on a road to destruction. And so there's this guy named Paul. 
And Paul, uh, you've heard of him, um, he wrote much of the New Testament, but Paul was literally on a road, on his way somewhere, thought he knew where he was going, and he had this encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life, and the trajectory, the direction he was going with his life changed in an instant. And so Paul began to write all these things about the character and nature of God, basically acknowledging that he had been so wrong about who God was, and then trying to correct it and saying, like, here's the reality of who God is. And so Paul ended up giving his life for this. And so Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 5. We'll be there, verses 12 to 17 in Romans chapter 5. You can look it up if you want. But, but as you're looking it up, Paul has decided he, he doesn't get to write to every church. And Paul has not yet been to Rome, but he writes to the church in Rome. And he writes these words because he wants them, he desperately desires for them to know the depth of God's love and his grace and his character He desperately longs for them to know that God is doing a new thing in the world, that that often we get wrong who God is. And Paul's going, hey, I got it wrong. Here's who God actually is. And so here's what, what he writes. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 17 say this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more to God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses. And brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The word of the Lord. Now maybe you're like me, you're like, yeah, that sounds really cool. What in the world did Paul just say? Right? That's where most of us hang out. We're like, that sounds good, that Jesus did this new thing, he's giving new life, I'm all in. But what did Paul just write there? Because I don't think I caught it. Right? Paul begins with therefore, so we kind of have to look back a little bit. But what Paul has been talking about is really what Jason talked about last Sunday morning, that, that God desires for us to be in, in right relationship with him and with others, that God desires righteousness in us. And that God's done this work through the person of Jesus. And so what... What Paul begins to do here is what, this is probably the only time I'll say, look at me, because I'm kind of like Paul. All right, just this one thing, I'll compare myself to Paul. Paul is writing faster than his brain, he's writing slower than his brain is moving. So like me, I sometimes, my brain goes faster than my words can. Right? This is the reality of what Paul is doing here. He's thinking more quickly than he can get the words out. 
And so N.T. Wright even says it this way. More than anywhere else in his writings, Paul allows his mind to go at such a pace that he seems only to write one word for every four or five he really needs if he is to make himself clear. And so for us, we stumble along behind, trying to make sense of it, and gradually the picture emerges. So what's Paul trying to say? What's Paul trying to lay down? He says this, that basically, Adam set the trajectory for mankind. And that trajectory was one of sin, brokenness, selfishness, chaos. So the family was going one direction. But there was something needed to save the family from the direction it was going. So Adam was the kind of the first fruits, the beginning of what was happening among all people. And Jesus becomes the first fruits, the new thing that God wants to do in us and through us to offer resurrection, this new life. So the trajectory that Adam started for his family, Jesus comes to say, there is another way. And I will show you that other way. And so this Jesus life it's all about being in right relationship with God and with others. That is what righteousness is. So if you hear something today, hear this, that the love of Jesus can change the trajectory of your life and your family in the future. And sometimes when we find ourselves going in one direction and we encounter God, it so radically changes our life that we're flipped upside down and we end up going a new direction. And so today, uh, Lee Schulte is going to come right now and he's going to share just a part of his story about how he was living in one way, going one direction, and God spoke into his life and he found himself going a radically different direction. Most of you know me as Diane's husband. Those who don't, your luck just ran out. I'm Lee Schulte. I'm a child saved by grace, a sinner saved by grace. God saved me from six packs of six of beer a day to none a day. It was miraculous. But he also saved, and I found out this morning, my dear wife and family from my sin. I woke up one morning. I worked at General Motors. I was a welder. I woke up half emerged in a quench tank up to my shoulder. I passed out while I was at work from drinking. It was about 6.30 in the morning, and I went and sat on the bench waiting to punch out at 7 o'clock, and all I could think about was, I need a drink. I'd never craved it before, but that morning I craved a drink. I thought, God, let me get a drink. About three minutes later, I said, God? take this away from me. Praise God he did. I 
never had a craving, a want, or a need for another drink. God can do that for us. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. If there's any young, anybody in here, I've thought about this all week. A habit and addiction begins with the first one. The first cigarette, the first beer, the first joint, whatever. If you don't take the first one, you don't have to worry about having the last one. And God will save you from any addiction if you believe that he will. And he will. So I can make this really simplistic today and say, um, there's Lee's story. Let's all go home. And sometimes that's exactly how it happens, but sometimes we begin to say, if we make it so simplistic, we're not sure what to do. And so I, I, in this text here, Paul is saying, here's the thing for us. If you'll trust God with the whole thing, it may look different than you think. And see, for some of us, we, we recognize that God says, I'll save you from your sin. And we go, oh yeah, but I have to keep on doing it. And what Paul writes again and again is, no, you don't. Your past can be literally that, your past. In fact, I would say it this way, that, that true freedom, true freedom comes in confession to God and to others, right? Like this, this part's important for us. See, if the depth of our faith is between God and I, there is often not true depth. Part of what makes Lee's story powerful is that he shares it with other people because if it was just between he and God, it probably wouldn't even be true. Because often we, we want our own stuff to just be our stuff, but that's hard. It's why James writes in James 5.16, confess your sins one to another. It isn't that confessing to God is not enough. It is, but, but the reality for us is sometimes we're not sure if it's real, if it's just to God. We're not sure if it really changes us enough. And so I... I've been thinking about this for weeks, and I heard, I, um, so I, I'm fascinated by certain groups and organizations and what they do and what their mission is, and, and do they stick to what they're trying to accomplish and those kinds of things. And, and so there's a group I probably have a ton of respect for and has grown over the years. Um, it's a group called AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, what um, often we'll say things like, oh, that's good for those people, not recognize we might be those people. See, one of the things I love about AA is they begin with this idea that, that they say, hey, listen, uh, they would start with, hi, I'm Aaron, I'm an alcoholic, um, or whatever your name is, and they begin with that, and they'd say, hi, but, but they would say, like, I'm this, not because I have to continue to be that, but because they recognize if it isn't for the work of others and God in my life, that's who I am. It's a recognition that I'm not enough. So maybe I would say it this way. Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm a sinner. Not that I have to continue to be one, but that I can recover from it. I can be set free from that. And that doesn't have to define my life. So I, I, I went and looked up the 12 steps of AA this week. Um, and so I'm going to read them to you, and they'll be on the screen as we kind of go through them. And then I rewrote them a little bit for us today. So here are the 12 steps of AA. 
one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And so I, I rewrote these, thinking of the fact because what AA started in the church, by the way, uh, and they often use language like higher power instead of even God. Um, but, but I rewrote these for our context because we believe in who Jesus is. And so I rewrote them a little bit as these. And so I, I stuck as closely to it as I could. Um, but also I'm going to give a little commentary as we walk through them. So the 12 steps of becoming more like Jesus. By the way, I think we should all embrace these steps. And there are parts of them, if you haven't embraced them, I would challenge you today that God calls you to be holy as he is holy. And that doesn't happen if these things are not real in our life. And in the church, we often think, well, if I've confessed my sins once to God, then I'm good. I'm done. But sometimes we confess, like, our own need for God. Beyond that, like here's the reality, you, you know in the scriptures it tells us that Jesus um, in his prayer time before he was crucified, he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, I don't want to do this. Well, how do you think we know that if he didn't tell other people about it? And so the reality for us is that confession is not just to say like, oh, I'm a wreck, but it's to recognize like our need for for discipleship, our need for God, our need for each other. And so here are the 12 steps of becoming more like Jesus. One, we admitted we were powerless over sin, that our lives had become unmanageable. We can't do it on our own. Two, we came to believe that Jesus can restore us to full humanity. Right? One of the, my least favorite phrases is, I'm only human. No, what you want to say is, I'm less than human. Not that I'm only human. Right, because in our full humanity, we're creating the divine image of God, and God says we're good. So in other words, when we live in ways that are counter to that, we're actually less than human. We're not fully human. We're not only human. That's like insulting God. Three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as seen in Jesus. This is what Paul would have wanted us to understand that the question of who is God is seen in the person and the nature and the teachings of Jesus. And so we can only say things about God we can say about him. 
Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. In other words, I was really honest with myself and did self-reflection and maybe even had others speak into my life. I can't tell you maybe, you, maybe you know someone like this. Maybe it's you, if we're honest, but, oh, you know, I just don't know why they're upset with me. I just don't know why, and yet we've never really done an honest reflection. Just like the, the grandfather I told you about earlier in the story, I, I don't know why my family's this way. Because we've never really been honest with ourselves about where we're really wrong, where we really fall short, what God really needs to do in and through us. Five, we admitted to God ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our sin. Six, we're entirely ready to have God's Holy Spirit remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings, not only our sin, but the areas where we fall short of being reflection of the divine image of God. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to reconcile to them all. Did you catch that one? We made a list of all the people that we have probably wronged and we made every effort to reconcile to them. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear someone say, well, I just, they're, they're dead to me or I don't talk to them anymore. Shame on you and on me if we do that. Because it doesn't look like the character and nature of Jesus. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Right, so then we go and make it right. I mean, sometimes you recognize that that going to make it right would actually bring more harm to their life, and you don't. That's a different scenario. You probably can figure those things out. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. continual inventory of our life. When we're wrong, we admit it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our relationship with God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to all people and to practice these principles in all our affairs. If we've really been changed by the character and nature of Jesus, if it truly has changed our life, if we, if we believe um, some, of the, like some of the worst theology, like this is just bad, um, is that like we want to follow Jesus so we can go to heaven. Like if that's what you think Christianity is, you, you miss the boat. Um, that's not what Jesus invites us to at all. Go, go read his words. You'll, you'll not find that in there. What he says is that my kingdom of heaven, it comes here on earth as it is in heaven. So live as if heaven's coming to earth because that's what the picture in John Revelation is, is that heaven comes to earth. God's going to do this new thing. And so it's not so we can go off to heaven. It's so that heaven can come here. So we begin to live as the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. We begin to live as the people who are making wrongs in this world right by the hope of Jesus. That we don't have to be defined by our past any longer, but he came to set a new trajectory for all of humanity. So that no longer are we sons of Adam, but we're sons of God and daughters. And so the reality for us is this, then what does it look like for us to journey in that direction? It looks like confession and repentance and vulnerability 
looks like acknowledge our need for God in the middle of the life in which we live. And so it is this invitation for us to come to a table and say, God, I am publicly confessing my need for you. And so here's my, my challenge for you today. If you have never confessed your sins one to another, if you've never actually told someone, confess to a person beyond your spouse, by the way. I, I'm not, I think a spouse is good, but, but I want to challenge you to go beyond that. If you've never done that, then this week, find someone. Say, hey, um, find someone you trust. Like, I don't want, you don't need to pick some random person. Hey, I saw you at church. I don't know whether you even love Jesus, but would you? No, not that person. Find someone you at least know. And say, hey, um, I, want, I want to take true inventory of my life. And I want to begin to look like Jesus. And I don't want to sort of live so that, so that I can maybe go off to heaven if it's if it's out there, but I want to live so that heaven comes here. I want to live so that God's people make a difference in this world here and now. I want to live in such a way that so when I pass from death, I enter into life, and I never even knew that death entered in because it goes from life to life. I want to live in such a way that God is reconciling the world to himself. I want to live in such a way that I am right relationship with God and with others, and I believe that eternally matters. And so I want to say to you today, here is a struggle I have. Here is a sin I have never confessed. Here is something I never told a person. Or go be reconciled to that person you need to be reconciled to. This is what Paul is trying to say. There was a way we live that led us to the way of Adam, but there's a new way we can live that leads to true freedom. And true freedom is only found Jesus. And the invitation is to know that. And so this morning we get to come to a table and take communion together and say, with our action, I believe I've created good. I believe I'm created in the image of God. I believe I'm loved by God. And I recognize I cannot make my life right, but only he can do that in and through me by the work of his spirit, by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, that's the invitation. And so in just a moment, when you come to take communion, if you choose to take communion, what you're saying is Jesus is Lord, and you're confessing those things, embracing this idea that I can't do it on my own, but God can do this work in me. And it's saying with that action, these are ways we begin in the goodness of God to bring heaven to earth here and now. And God, God's redemption, heaven breaking in, happens in us first and in our families, and it can change the whole trajectory for generations to come. Father, will you help us today as we begin to explore what it looks like to be your unique people, to embrace as true in our lives this love you have for us as we prepare to sing these words together that you desire desperately for us to find at the cross we find newness. That in confession, it isn't just like acting like we have it all together all the time, but there is something powerful about coming to your table and being your unique people. And there's something powerful about the idea that the good news of the gospel is the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. And we can live in the goodness of God here and now and for all eternity. And so, Father, help us this day. 
to embrace you as Lord, to embrace your Father's love as ours. And we pray all of this in your Son Jesus' name.